Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. It is nighttime and this is the Mojave Desert. I will never forget it. That's something you'll hear, something you'll hear quite a lot out here. I know what I saw. Do they know? Do you know? I know that I've seen a few things over the years, a few things I will never forget. Enough to keep me looking up at the night sky, which is beautiful and mysterious enough on a normal night. A normal night with the Milky Way spilling across a wide open desert sky. I don't really know what I saw. An alien spaceship? That's a popular theory over the past century or so. Blame H.G. Wells. Blame the 19th century astronomer who thought he saw artificially constructed canals on the surface of Mars. Blame the science fiction writers of the movies. You see a blinding white light on the horizon, a light that throbs like something alive, and this attracts your attention. This weird glob of light bewitches you entirely. And maybe an entity of some kind appears later and it gazes right into your soul. A being of pure light. It might be wise and kindly. It might be terrifying. It might be all of this at once. Well, if you were traveling a desert road and saw such a thing, until a century ago, you would generally assume you would come into contact with a god or a demon or an angel, a monster. Today you would most likely think of a gray-skinned space alien the height of a hobbit but with spindly arms and legs and big black eyes like an insect. Like a praying mantis. Or maybe like George Van Tassel out of Giant Rock, you recognize a tall human figure with beautiful white blonde hair, hair worn like a medieval prince. The mistake we make when we think about these strange encounters is a mistake humans often make. We take our experience to be the norm. So if we see something, if we have a baffling experience with a red-eyed mystery beast, if we see a shimmering matte black manta ray hovering low over the highway, if we find mysterious tracks around our cabin or odd designs in the sand of a dry wash, well, we think everybody will understand If you see something, say something. And then we look for evidence of an existing mythology. Lo 
look on the internet, the message boards, you know what I'm talking about. The people show up in the UFO forum and they say, does anybody know what I saw? Did anybody else see it? It was over the north side of Barstow or the south end of 29 Palms. It hovered over Kel Baker Road or it hung in the sky by San Gorgonio. What was it? Can anybody tell me what it was? Some joker will always come in with the answer is the military. It's a TR-3B or a helicopter or flares or a flock of migrating geese. Or it was not there at all because everybody knows if you did not manage to get a photograph with your phone, your phone which has the absolute worst nighttime camera built right in, your phone that was in your pocket while you were driving... And while you had a 30-second encounter with something inexplicable, your phone that would take 30 seconds of passwords and thumbprints and opening of apps and software updates and carrier updates just to get to the camera part, well, then it wasn't there at all. It's a hoax. And then somebody else will chime right in with surprisingly detailed information about a race of very specific space aliens and their various types of light-speed spacecraft and their involvement with Area 51 and the Trilateral Commission. And after going through this gauntlet of nonsense, a lot of people simply decide to never talk about it again. Not in public. acceptable to tell ghost stories, to share your UFO sighting, your encounter with the paranormal, your meeting with the space devils. And if we've never seen anything, never had an uncommon moment, never stood alone on a desert night looking up at the stars and waiting for something to happen, anything, never gazed upon something that did not add up, did not compute, well we tend to think it's all nonsense, we tend to think it's not real. Or we might decide that what we saw was entirely legitimate while whatever somebody else is talking about is surely delusional. Some people get so wrapped up in this type of skepticism that they make a religion out of it. They methodically try to explain anybody else's experience so they try to explain Ezekiel's wheels in the sky, Constantine's fiery cross above the clouds, the white lady on Route 66. 
a mile-wide black triangles passing slow and low and silent over desert cities and suburbs. Foo fighters bedeviling World War II fighter pilots. They try to explain it all away. Mass delusion, hallucination, insanity, drugs and alcohol, imagination run wild. What lingers over all that is weird and inexplicable is the supposed lack of evidence. If we don't have the corpse of an eight-foot hairy monster that smells like sulfur and has eyes like red lasers, well then it doesn't exist. But I want to encourage you to think about this another way, to think about it another way. An experience is real when the witnesses believe they've had a real experience. Surely some people did not believe Moses really saw a sagebrush glowing up on that lonely desert mountain like an LED beacon. Charles Fort, perhaps not surprisingly the founder of Fortean Studies, once said something I always sort of took to be satirical, sort of. I guess I did not have a reason to come up with an argument for it. And this is what Charles Ford wrote. Would we, if we could, educate and sophisticate pigs, geese, cattle? Would it be wise to establish diplomatic relations with the hen that now functions satisfied? with mere sense of achievement by way of compensation? I think we're property. I've slept better these many years by taking that satirically. Like a lot of Charles Fort's grand and ever-changing conclusions about it all. No matter what you believe about alien abductions and or religious experiences and or psychedelic channelings and or immersive gaming and or magic and witchcraft or revival tent hucksterism or Myers-Briggs psychobabble or Hank Williams singing with the conviction of a man who had seen the light. Praise God, I saw the light. No matter what you think about it all, what your rigorous intuition tells your telltale heart at the end of the day, at the twilight between dusk and dark, you've got to ask yourself a question. 
about what Hank Williams saw. What light? Anyway, if you look at what Charles Fort was saying, saying from behind his desk full of index cards and oddities, behind his little crystal ball, I think you can see how he was maybe making a joke or an analogy, a metaphor. The farm is an enduring way to relate the human condition. George Orwell used the farm. There was a famously weird commune called the farm. I should say there is. It's still operating in Tennessee. Upton Sinclair wrote a book called The Jungle that's all about what happens when the laborers and farm animals get ever closer on the killing floor. Ever closer to being the same thing. We have not yet tackled that particular problem. It's especially absurd because farm operations are mostly obvious and apparent to the animals. The animals placed in the situation through no fault of their own. Which is why we hear so many stories on the news about these brave, slaughterhouse-bound animals escaping. shoot or onto that truck or onto that train that you don't come back. Intellectually, it's death at that moment. The details of the final passage may be unknown, may remain occluded, but we know we go in and we know we don't come out. This is just as true for rangeland cattle as for feedlot stock. There is a point when the people turn on you. The people who used to feed you and attend to the birth of your children and give you antibiotics. And then these people drag you, drag you kicking and roaring and crying onto the vehicle that will lead to your execution so that you may be cut up into pieces and sold as food. It's how you die. Now, humans are pretty sure for the moment that we don't become food after we die. Surely somebody would tell us after all these many thousands of years. But how would they? 
already over the horizon. Maybe that's what ghosts are trying to do, tell us about what's coming. Maybe we have no idea what's next. Of course we have no idea, it's like Devil's Hole up by Death Valley. Nobody who goes all the way down can come back to tell us what's happening, warn us. It drove people crazy in ancient Rome, just like it does today, just like always. The very rich people knew they could not take it with them. I mean, it's a cliche and always has been, yet they spent their later days heaping money and praise upon Pluto, god of the underworld. The god of death. The god of money. Just in case... business titan freeze his head? Did the PayPal man send a vulgar little car into space when he could have sent a physical and digital library of all of Earth's culture? culture is ultimately a red convertible with a dummy at the wheel. Maybe all of Earth's culture is ultimately a red convertible with a dummy at the wheel. American Cosmic, it's called. It's good to see a book like this get the Oxford University Press treatment. The early response is good, although the author did delete all of her social media accounts during her publicity tour. Because people have strong beliefs about this stuff. And like any subject, it attracts a certain percentage of dingbats and nutcases. Along with lots of supposedly normal people. You become attracted to the topic of strange encounters. Strange encounters that seem to rearrange your mind. Permanently. UFO beliefs have functioned as religion for a growing share of the planet's population for 75 years now. 
It started with the contactees who provided the basics for a new religion. Right when the old religions got wrung out of meaning in the atomic era. As the black horrors of the Nazi concentration camps faded into color vacation photographs from Tomorrowland. The Space Brothers. The race of wise aliens from Venus. The tall Nordics. They'd come to Earth from myriad planets and star systems to show us the way, the way and the truth and the light. They would save us from ourselves. Save our planet, which was on the verge of nuclear apocalypse and ecological doom. In 1917, at Fatima in Portugal, the intelligence was still answering to Mother Mary. Still the beautiful virgin of light because that's what the children believed. Or more accurately, that's what the children had been taught by their elders to believe in. And 25 years later, the game had changed. The angels were now aliens. Right here in the Mojave High Desert, an aerospace engineer named George Van Tassel arrived to live in a cave house that became vacant when a harmless miner named Frank Kritzer, who had created the home beneath Giant Rock, apparently blew himself up when the cops came calling, or maybe Frank Kritzer was murdered, maybe it was an accident, but he did have dynamite stacked all around his subterranean hideout. That's how he made the house under Giant Rock. If you want to get a good sense of the uprooted society of Southern California that produced every kind of strange new cult and practice, read Nathaniel West's The Day of the Locust, published in 1939. In great numbers, regular people of limited means arrived in and around Los Angeles. Convinced by real estate developers in the citrus industry that they needed to come out to California and live in a bungalow with a view of a palm tree where it never snowed. And then people got out here and realized they did not know anybody and did not have anything to do with their time. And these people were suckers for every kind of scheme. And sometimes these people took note of the emptiness of life. And the emptiness of life when you can cover the basics but can't afford any real fun. Anything interesting or compelling. You don't believe in the religion you grew up with if you ever believed it at all. You notice a lot of other people don't believe either.
but we want to believe. We want to believe in something, in something that makes sense to us. It's the space age. Why not have space age gods and devils? And instead of being controlled by the preacher and the church, you are in control of this narrative. You might even be part of it. a child like Heracles or Bacchus or Orpheus or Wonder Woman or Darth Vader or Jesus of Galilee. People believe this. The space children are, according to the mythology, living amongst us today. I guess that's who the millennials are. I hope they have a secret plan. Now, the Harvard researcher John Mack interviewed many of these unwilling participants in the folly of the gods, and John Mack published many books of their stories. Did he believe alien starships were routinely hovering over suburban homes and city apartment buildings? While crews of fantastic creatures probed and prodded and impregnated humans? Did he believe his own neighbors were being abducted and programmed by space monsters aboard immense high-technology spacecraft that nobody else seemed to notice? I don't think so. What he believed was that the people believed what they were saying. They were real experiences to those who suffered such strange experiences. situation is living up to the hype. They are everywhere and I haven't seen anything like it in a decade back in the Great Recession. Well, we had a couple of nice cold wet winters and a couple of springs to match. You've been listening to Desert Oracle Radio. I'm your host Ken Lane. Thanks as always for listening, and good night from the Voice of the Desert.